Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. We've got you covered. An unexpected health condition can happen to anyone at any time, celebrity or not. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these topical conditions. Thanks for listening. The reason why I brought this podcast and theme into today is because of Selma Blair's interview on Good Morning America. I don't know if you're, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but it really inspired me Mm -hmm. to pick this topic up and bring it life. Multiple sclerosis is a uh, autoimmune inflammatory condition of the central nervous system. We define the central nervous system as consisting of the brain, spinal cord, and optic nerves. Optic nerves are the structures that connect the eyeball to the brain. In multiple sclerosis, an overactive immune system starts to think of the nervous system tissue as being foreign to the body and being something similar to a bacterium or fungus that needs to be attacked by the immune system, which consists of white blood cells, antibodies, and a bunch of other uh, body chemicals. When this happens in multiple sclerosis, the, uh, this attack leads to damage of both the insulation material around nerve fibers as well as the nerve fibers themselves. And that damage produces MS symptoms. Depending on where that damage happens, uh, the symptoms vary. They can include weakness, uh, muscle cramps, um, numbness, tingling, which can reach the level of chronic or episodic pain. Many patients have problems with uh, memory um, as well as their emotions and patients can experience problems with controlling their bladder and bowel as well as experiencing sexual dysfunction. So you named off a lot of different symptoms and a lot of those symptoms are also symptoms for other diseases, other illnesses, other, you know, such as cancer, for example. How is MS different than that? Is there like a big sign that, you know, you can be like, oh, she has MS or or anything like that? There's no single big sign that uh, makes or breaks the diagnosis. As I suggested, there are many symptoms and signs that uh, happen in multiple sclerosis. It takes a expert, that's typically a neurologist, to differentiate MS from a host of other neurological conditions that share some features with multiple sclerosis. So for instance, if a patient complains to me about numbness or tingling in in a hand, I think of carpal tunnel syndrome, I think about a nerve root compression in the neck, and I think about multiple sclerosis. And through a process of interpreting Uh, the answers that a patient gives to multiple questions, I can narrow that diagnosis. The physical examination serves to identify additional abnormalities, helps 
differentiate with a problem that originates in the central nervous system as opposed to the peripheral nervous system, such as carpal tunnel syndrome or a nerve root compression. And once we have arrived at a working diagnosis based on the patient's history and examination, we carefully choose um, ancillary tests such as blood tests, uh, MRI, um, sometimes we examine a person's cerebrospinal fluid via a lumbar puncture, and then we put all of the information together to arrive at a definitive diagnosis. And one thing that you didn't mention was stress. Now, I've been taught or have learned that stress is a big factor in bringing on different types of illnesses faster. Is MS the case in that? Like if you are super stressed out, would it bring on your MS symptoms or open up that diagnosis a little bit faster? There is certainly a suggestion that stress can make MS symptoms worse in patients who have that diagnosis. Uh, but there is no evidence that stress is a cause of multiple sclerosis. And then Selma Blair, so we were talking a little bit about this before off air, but Selma Blair, she went years as feeling though she was crazy because doctors didn't believe her, didn't understand her symptoms. And you were mentioning that it's not normal for MS to go undiagnosed. Could you explain a little more about that, about what we were talking about previously to turning on our mics of how it is easy to diagnose MS? When a person has what neurologists refer to as focal symptoms, it is easier to link such a problem to a particular area of the brain or the spinal cord or peripheral nerves. So if my pinky tingles it's pretty easy to figure out where that can originate. On the other hand, when people have more diffuse symptoms, that, become, that can become more challenging. For instance, if a person is fatigued or has a hard time concentrating, this can mean all kinds of things. And under such circumstances, it is indeed possible that a healthcare provider um, doesn't consider specific conditions such as uh, multiple sclerosis as being causative, but writes things off as stress. And of course, uh, everybody knows that um, being in a, being in acting or in Hollywood is typically associated with significant stress. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that kind of ties back into our previous comments about how there's so many symptoms that they all kind of also tie into other diagnoses as well. Um, and then I want to kind of talk a little bit about what are the treatments for MS? So I know that there's, there's different medications, there's different things that you can do to help your symptoms for MS, but MS really doesn't go away. It's not something that, you know, you can just take medication and it goes away, unless it is, and I have researched a little differently. So it is accurate to say that uh, there is no cure for multiple sclerosis. 
but multiple sclerosis is eminently treatable and has been for several decades. When we talk about treatment options, we differentiate treating symptoms and signs of multiple sclerosis as opposed to improving the outcome and the prognosis of multiple sclerosis. To give some examples, if a person regularly gets fatigued uh, at three o'clock in the afternoon, um, something that is quite common in multiple sclerosis, we can treat MS fatigue. If a person notices that um, going for a walk um, they have a harder time keeping up with friends and family, we can help people walk faster. If a person has consistent tingling pain, we can treat that. If a person has problems controlling their bladder, we can treat that. But those treatments do nothing to improve long-term outcomes. Here is where the so-called disease-modifying drugs or disease-modifying treatments come in. These medications are designed to calm down the immune system. They have been around um, in FDA-approved versions since 1993. The relapsing forms of multiple sclerosis are three times as common in women and because MS is a disease that typically starts in young people, um, it is important that one considers uh, the effect of um, MS medications uh, on uh, a, a fetus, on an embryo, if a person gets pregnant. So long story short, there are a ton of different ways that you could help, pre not prevent, but help people with MS, you know, handle their symptoms better and move towards a state of the illness not being found in their bodies or just not being active? There's no way to make multiple sclerosis go away. Okay. Um, but one can help reduce disease activity. In the news and in the media and things like that, we've been learning a lot about integrative type of therapies and things like that, such as massage and meditation, tai chi, acupuncture. Do you believe that that's kind of a complementary therapy for people in MS as well? Um, it is. However, I define integrative medicine a bit more broadly. And at the Multiple Sclerosis Center at Hackensack University Medical Center, we have integrated both a counseling psychologist and the neuropsychologist into our practice so that our patients have somebody to talk to about their worries about the disease, um, about how it affects um, partner relations and family relations, about struggles that they may experience at work or in school. We've integrated a neuropsychologist because patients very often and actually quite early on experience problems with concentration and remembering things. And of course, it is our goal to allow patients to be as productive and live their lives to the fullest potential, whether it's in the personal world, the social world, or the work world. Uh, in addition to that, um, in our center, we work very closely with neurourologists who help patients uh, with uh, bladder problems. 
And uh, since MS is a lifelong illness, we work closely with our geriatricians um, who help uh, patients above age 65 or so. In addition to that, it is really important that patients maintain an active lifestyle. That means um, being physically active as is appropriate in case of uh, certain forms of disability, such as trouble walking, patients may do better swimming, um, in maintaining a healthy diet so that their uh, body mass index, their weight is as close to ideal as possible, um, that they exercise, we can help them with physical therapy as well as with our wellness and fitness program. Uh, so these are all crucial aspects of optimal health behavior. And in that context, um, other forms um, of um, integrative medicine, such as massage, um, relaxation techniques, uh, acupuncture certainly uh, play a role. These interventions are never designed to replace medication treatment to uh, improve the prognosis, um, but support such treatment uh, in other ways. Yeah, to complement each other, to you know, help enhance the therapy. So is MS genetic or is it something that you and I could prevent? Both. We know that autoimmune diseases run in families. Very often, as I explore a person's family history, there are other people who have such conditions or the patient himself or herself already has a, another diagnosis of an autoimmune condition. We know that if a, a parent has MS, the child's risk of MS increases from approximately 1 in 500 in the general population to 1 in 250. If I, a identical twin has MS, the other twin has a one-third chance of getting MS. So the genetic impact is very clear. However, there are major environmental impacts uh, that uh, are to some degree under a person's control. We know that smoking increases the risk or any form of tobacco use of multiple sclerosis as well as of the risk of MS getting worse. We know that uh, obesity is a risk factor for MS. Um, we know that pregnancy and early pregnancy may reduce the risk of MS, um, likely because in pregnancy, the immune system is calmed down because a person's uh, fetus is half not the mother's, but also half of the father's. Um, we know that MS is more common the further away from the equator a person has lived at an early age. That's true both on the northern hemisphere and on the southern hemisphere, such that MS is more common in Toronto than in Cleveland, more common in Cleveland than in New Orleans, more common in New Orleans than in Mexico City. Why that is, we are not quite sure. There, it may have to do with the age at which uh, children acquire certain banal childhood infections. It may be linked to uh, vitamin D and sun exposure 
um, which of course is higher the closer to the equator one gets. As a result of that, I tell all my patients uh, that they need to be aware of these links of obesity, smoking, and vitamin D, not just in regards to their own health, but also in regards to their family's health. That's actually really interesting that you brought up the fact about the equator, because when I was looking through you know, and researching about MS, I found, or it was a random find, but I found that the rates of MS tend to be lower in places that are closer to the equator, which you've mentioned. And... I just thought that was crazy. Um, I, I even wrote down right here on my paper, if you were to look at it, that it says, is this even a scientific fact? Because I really didn't believe it. So would you recommend that people relocate to help alleviate symptoms? Or is that more so towards someone who doesn't have MS yet? The risk of MS in relationship to distance to the equator is defined in early and middle childhood. Uh, there is no evidence whatsoever that after 15, um, this risk is modifiable. So there's no reason to move closer to the equator. We've learned about MS. We've learned the causes. What recommendations would you have for anyone listening who may have MS, may think they have MS, have family members who have MS? What would be your recommendations to them? So firstly, it's important to have an accurate diagnosis. This is the domain of neurologists, and quite often at the MS center, we get referrals from neurologists who are not quite sure. Secondly, it is important to focus on excellent health behavior. That entails sleeping six to eight hours a night, sleeping at uh, the same time every day, and I realize that this may be difficult for shift workers, maintaining an ideal body weight, exercising, maintaining a good family relations so as to uh, minimize stress in one's life, and importantly, having regular follow-up also with one's family physician or primary care physician. Patients with MS and other uh, significant uh, illnesses tend to focus on one condition for follow-up and often neglect other conditions, including preventive medicine. So basically, you have MS, but you shouldn't forget all the other preventative medicines and other preventative screenings that one would get even if they didn't have MS. That is correct. It is also important to use one's time with one's physician optimally. That often requires um, writing things down, bringing a care partner to appointments, and um, making sure that one gets all one's uh, questions answered. I like to quip to my patients that the art of being successful patients depends on one's ability to get on the doctor's nerves and feel good about it. <laughs> so you like when your patients get on your nerves is what you're saying. That is correct. Patients <laughs> help me be a better physician. And ultimately, my goal for my patients is, and that's also my personal goal, uh, to be able to dance at my grandchild's wedding. That requires mobility, a positive outlook on life, uh, good strength in one's arms and legs, uh, 
um, and um, an ability to enjoy one's life. I like that. And I think I'm going to end on that. I don't, I don't want to go any further into MS world because that is a personal goal that everyone should really have and such a positive goal from having, you know, talking all about MS and this debilitating disease. But at the same time, it's you can take medications and you can do different therapies to, to live basically a healthy life or, you know, quote unquote, a normal life. Um, and still, you know, go to your grandchild's wedding and dance the night away. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about a condition that I feel passionate about. The material provided through this Health You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.